1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 1 through 5. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, thank you, Jake, for reading God's Word for us and welcoming us this morning. I would like to add my welcome to Jake's. My name is Paul Brandis, and I am privileged to serve the Brookside campus of Christ Community uh, as the associate pastor. And if you would, I'd like to invite you to bow your heads and pray with me as I ask for God's help in understanding His Word. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Help us now to hear and obey what you say to us today. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, I still remember where I was the time that my best friend from my time in school at Trinity broke the news to me. We were in the parking lot of our movie theater in our, in our town where we went to school. We were waiting for my wife, Ashley, to join us so the three of us could go to a movie, and we had some time to kill. And I don't know how we got onto the topic, uh, but I do remember the exact words that he said to me. Oh, yeah, I speak in tongues all the time. Now, I was one who did not speak in tongues all the time. In fact, uh, my history had been more uh, of the sort where the people that did that uh, were not really to be trusted, and we were maybe a little bit even suspicious of them. You know, overall, I was used to devaluing tongues and other so-called miraculous gifts. If they were still in existence today, then they definitely weren't as needed or as important as other gifts like leadership or administration or teaching. Uh, that was just what I was used to. But now, here I was with my closest friend, who I might mention was a way better Christian than I was, and still is to this day, way more godly. Here I am, and I'm in a little bit of a crisis moment, a little bit of tension. What was I to do with that tension? And maybe some of you can relate. As you heard Jake read these verses this morning, maybe you had a similar experience like that, and, and you're experiencing some internal tension this morning already. Or maybe the feeling that you would use to describe where you're at with tongues and, and miracles and healings isn't so much tension, but it's hurt or anger. And if you don't have a history or any strong feelings, then I think all of us at least have some questions, right? I mean, I'll be up front. The, the chapter that we're studying today, 1 Corinthians 14, is really, really difficult it's not an easy chapter to understand. There are many points where in reading it, I find myself saying, what the heck is Paul talking about here? So in quite a few ways, we're up against it this morning. But I hope that you'll stick with me because there are some bedrock truths in this chapter, some things that I think we can all stand upon and agree. 
Over the past few weeks, we've been following, following along as Paul talks about spiritual gifts. He wanted the Corinthians to know, and he wants us to know that God cares a lot about what we do with the gifts that he's given us. And if you're new, just so that we're on the same page, we've been defining spiritual gifts as spirit-empowered abilities freely given to the Christian by the Holy Spirit for the purpose of serving others and building up the church for the common good. That's been our working definition these last few weeks. And three weeks ago, we saw that our gifts are not for us. Our gifts are not for us. Your gifts, your spiritual gifts are far more about the person that's sitting next to you than they are about you. Two weeks ago, we saw that our gifts are hardwired for collaboration and outside of community, they short circuit. And last week, our senior pastor, Tom Nelson, covered how spiritual gifts are calibrated to run best when driven by love. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul makes the incredible statement that without love, none of the gifts matter. I think we're sort of used to that because 1 Corinthians 13 is such a famous chapter, but that's mind-blowing. Without love, none of the gifts matter. That's how important love is. But there's still another piece to the puzzle. This morning, Paul wants us to see that the goal, the one goal of our spiritual gifts uh, that's the title of our series, right? We've been doing a series within a series. Many gifts, one goal. And this morning in chapter 14, Paul wants us to see what that is. And we can't miss it. Because if we miss the goal, then we've missed everything. So our big idea for today is the goal of your gifts is to build the church. The goal of your gifts is to build the church. And when the church in Corinth, when they gathered for worship, they had totally missed this idea. Their gatherings looked a lot more like Corinth's got talent than the worship gathering of God's people. More competition than collaboration. So you think you can speak in tongues? <laughs> so can I, but louder. So you think you can prophesy? Check this out. Okay, sure, what that guy said was interesting, but you should hear what God told me. Everyone was trying to build up their own egos, and the church was falling apart as a result of it. And it seems as though two gifts were at the center of the controversy. Prophecy and tongues, which is where Paul focuses in chapter 14. Probably, in a letter to Paul, the Corinthians had asked him to give some teaching or to extend a ruling about these two gifts which that's really interesting because it's taken two whole chapters for him to really dig in and answer their question. I mean, you can sort of imagine this happening in the church service, right? Because that's what happened when they received a letter from Paul. They opened it in a setting much like this and they read it out loud. And in, in 1 Corinthians 12, 1, he says, now concerning spiritual matters. They're like, okay, edge of our seats, here we go. Prophecy in tongues. Two more chapters before he even gets there. Before he even gets there, and that was their question. We can't miss that this morning. Because what Paul has said in chapters 12 and 13 is so deeply and intimately connected with what he says here in chapter 14. We can't miss that this morning. 
Now, because tongues and prophecy have been and continue to be at the center of so much division and controversy within the church, I want to briefly start by saying what we know about these two gifts and what we don't know. What we know and what we don't know. Well, regarding tongues, what we do know is in 1 Corinthians 14, we see it tongues as being an utterance of sounds that are unintelligible to the average person such that it requires someone else to give interpretation of what was said. And in this chapter, Paul is clear that this type of speech is primarily directed to God, not to other people. As for prophecy, what we know from this chapter is that it's a form of public speaking that is clearly understood by everyone so that, or such that it instructs, encourages, and comforts everyone who hears it. But to be clear, because Paul is clear, and we know this from the passage, prophecy is not above evaluation. Prophecy is not above evaluation. No one could say, the Lord told me, without proper checks and balances from Scripture and from the community. And that's still true today. If you or if someone you know thinks that they have a direct word from the Lord, then you or they should seek evaluation from other Christians and ultimately should check that word from the Lord against the Bible. The Lord told me was never intended to end a conversation, only to begin one. So that's what we know from this passage. Well, what don't we know? Well, are tongues actual languages like French or Latin, or is this more of a special prayer language or even like a singing type of language that isn't common to man? And to be honest, I'm, I'm not 100% sure. Thoughtful and careful Christians who value the Bible come down in different places on that. And as for prophecy, I can guess, I can imagine that the first thing that comes to your mind, as it does for mine when I hear the word prophecy, is I think about predicting the future, right? When will the world end? Where is this relationship headed? And for all the Cubs fans out there today, when will our 107-year drought end? Is it going to be this year? I don't know. But this is prophecy, right? It's predicting, it's predicting the future. So when Paul talks about prophecy here in 1 Corinthians 14, is he thinking of receiving some revelation from God about the future, or does he have more in mind planned out, insightful preaching? I think probably it's more the insightful preaching side, but, but we can't definitively know. And stepping back even further with prophecy, where do you draw the line between thoughtful Christian counsel and Holy Spirit-inspired wisdom? Now, these are hard questions, and again, many godly people who believe the Bible answer them in very, very different ways. And unfortunately, that's put us in the same spot that the Corinthians were in, where our gifts or our opinions about our gifts have become a major division more often than not. But we have to remember that first and foremost, the spiritual gifts are about our unity they are about our togetherness, and they are for the goal of building up the church. And how can our gifts build the church if we keep letting them pull us apart? They can't. So it's really important for us to focus on Paul's big idea in the passage today. The goal of your gifts is to build the church. Build the church. That's the goal. So how? How do we reach that goal? 
Well, from this passage, I believe we see that our gifts, prophecy, tongues, or otherwise, build the church when they, one, foster encouragement rather than just an experience. Two, help others encounter the giver rather than the gift. And three, point us to peace rather than confusion. First, our gifts build the body when they foster encouragement rather than just an experience. Look back with me at 1 Corinthians 14, starting in verse 1. There, Paul writes, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him. But he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in the tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. It seems as though in Corinth, tongues, speaking in tongues, was the pinnacle gift, the ultimate gift, the you've finally arrived, now you can be part of the inner circle gift. And in fact, with how much Paul emphasizes edification and encouragement and building up in these verses, it's probable that the gift of tongues was being used to marginalize or put down those who didn't possess it. But possessing some gift, any of the gifts, isn't the goal, is it? And that's why Paul says to the Corinthians, you've missed it. The goal of the spiritual life isn't just experience. It's edification. It's encouragement. It's building Jesus' church. That's the goal. And Paul sees intelligibility, understanding, as being crucial to encouragement. You look again at verses 2 and 3. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him. But he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. Yeah, this makes sense, doesn't it, on some level? I mean, how can you be built up if you can't understand what's being said to you? How can you be encouraged or edified in that? And so Paul's point is that when the church is gathered, prophecy is preferable to tongues because there is an immediate intelligibility and understanding that's built in. And he isn't anti-tongues, right? We catch this in this passage as well. In verse 5, he says, I want you all to speak in tongues. But, you can imagine the parenthetical with me, when the church is gathered, even more to prophesy. Even more to prophesy. And he goes on in verse 5 to talk about the interpretation of the tongues. And that's a different story because, again then, with interpretation comes understanding and intelligibility, which leads to edification, which leads to building up. But it doesn't seem like the interpretation piece was happening in Corinth. You know, someone would just stand up, speak in tongues, and then sit back down. All right, who's next? <laughs> It was unintelligible, and thus there was no edification. Yeah, there's something that's really key for us to see here. 
I don't want us to miss this. Paul values the life of the mind in spiritual formation. Learning, comprehension, and understanding are important on the road, on the journey to Christ-likeness. In fact, in the letter to another church, Paul writes this in Romans 12:2: Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The life of the mind is important to Paul, and tongues without interpretation don't edify the minds of those who are around the speaker. Now, to say again, Paul isn't anti-tongues. Later in this passage, 1 Corinthians 14, 18, Paul actually says that he speaks in tongues more than any of the Corinthians. So he's not anti-tongues, but he recognized that tongues were primarily or maybe first a personal experience that he was having a special and important experience between him and God. This is why in verse 2 of the passage, he says that the one who speaks in tongues speaks to God. You know, Paul isn't anti-tongues, and he isn't anti-experience. I don't want you to hear that this morning either. That's why our main point is written the way it is. Our gifts build the church when they foster encouragement rather than just an experience, not rather than experience, right? Rather than just an experience, Because not all experience is bad. Experience isn't bad. I mean, this right here, right now, God's people gathered together listening to his word proclaimed is an experience. And hopefully it's a good one. (laughs) Hopefully, prayerfully, this experience spurs you on to love and good deeds, spurs you on into further Christ-likeness. So no, experience isn't bad, but our gifts ultimately are not pointed at the goal of experience. They're pointed at the ultimate goal of encouragement. And if tongues are spoken first to God and aren't intelligible without an interpreter, then they should take a back seat to prophecy when the church is gathered. Because Paul cares about experiences, but not just experiences. Our gifts should foster encouragement. And that will build the church. So let me ask you, are you seeking encouragement for others or just an experience for yourself? Are you seeking encouragement for others or just an experience for yourself? Look, in a very real sense, every one of us comes here expecting a particular kind of experience a sermon that touches me, a song that moves me, an emotional experience that validates my faith, and so on. And if it does those things, then we leave the morning rating it pretty highly. And if it didn't, well, then maybe next week, right? And again, that's not all bad. Experience isn't evil. And experience that resonates with you certainly isn't evil. You should like church. You should even love it. But if an experience for you is the only reason you're coming, then you've missed the goal of your gifts. You've missed the goal of your gifts. Some of you have been given gifts to serve in children's ministries, others to greet at the door, still others to make coffee, to pray for others, to lead a community group, and so on. Whatever gifts you have been given, how are you using them? For encouragement? For edification? 
Do you see the church as a place for you to have just an experience or as a place for everyone to be mutually encouraged? Our spiritual gifts build the body when they seek encouragement instead of just an experience. What are you seeking this morning? What are you fostering? Second, our gifts build the church when they help others encounter the giver rather than the gift. Jump with me in the passage. We ended on verse 5. Jump down with me to verse 23. Jump with me to verse 23. In verse 23, Paul writes this. Starting in verse 23, Paul writes this. If the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God really is among you. In the first few verses of this chapter, we saw that Paul had a problem with tongues that aren't interpreted because they aren't intelligible. Here, in in this section, we see that Paul prefers prophecy when the church is gathered for the sake of anyone present who is not a Christian. For the sake of anyone present who is not a Christian. And I think that's incredible. If you're here today and you aren't a Christian, I want to make sure that you catch this. Because from the very earliest days of the church, I mean, this is like only a few years after the church began, From the very earliest days of the church, this was supposed to be a safe place for you to come, a safe place for you to explore, for you to wrestle through whatever is going on in your life, and a safe place for you to ask questions from the very beginning of the church. And and Paul knows how uninterpreted tongues will be received by non-Christians. What the heck is going on? Where's the closest exit? (laughs) Sorry about that. We've all had an experience sort of like that, right? I mean, you're having a conversation with someone, maybe it's that one uncle on your mom's side, and you just have no idea what he's talking about. He might as well be speaking in tongues, right? It's an alienating experience, isn't it? It cuts you off. How, how soon are you looking to get out of that conversation? You're not looking to stay in that conversation. And that's Paul's point when it comes to tongues in the gathered church. Here again, his question from verse 23. If a non-believer, a non-Christian enters and hears tongues, won't he or she say that you are out of your minds? And if all the non-believers, if all the non-Christians keep leaving because of tongues, how does that build up the church? It doesn't. Your non-Christians leaving because of tongues puts all the focus on the gift rather than on the giver of that gift, which is a problem. And that's our second main from this passage. Our gifts build up the church when they help others encounter the giver rather than the gift. When we are truly and faithfully living into our gifts in a God-honoring way, then they actually fade into the background and go unnoticed. Then, as it should be, the giver of those gifts, God himself comes to the foreground 
and non-Christians and everyone that's present encounters the giver of those gifts and not the gifts themselves. And when that happens, the church is edified and the church is built up. And that's the deal with prophecy in tongues. When the non-Christian hears tongues, he or she is alienated and pushed away. But with prophecy, look again at verses 24 and 25. If all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called account he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Isn't that what we as Christians want? More people worshiping God, more people on their knees declaring that God really is here? I hope so. Because when that's happening, the church is being built up. It's being encouraged. The goal of our gifts is being met. But let's not be naive to think that tongues without interpretation is the only thing that puts up barriers for non-Christians. So let me ask you this morning, what barriers are you putting up for non-Christians? What barriers are you putting up for non-Christians? How might what you are doing or not doing be putting up a barrier, making it harder for someone to come to Jesus? The more I've wrestled with this because I know that I'm guilty, one barrier that keeps coming to mind is our use of Christianese. Christianese, you know what that is, right? It's insider language, theological jargon. And don't get me wrong, theology is crucial. But what did we cover just a few minutes ago? Intelligibility and understanding is important. And sometimes we can use Christianese language in the same way the church in Corinth was using tongues. I know that's true in my life. We can use theological terms as buzzwords to show everyone how smart or spiritual we are. And when we do that, those who are newer to church may find themselves scratching their heads confused, and they leave discouraged. They leave without understanding. So get into the habit of asking yourself, will this be accessible to someone who is brand new to being a Christian? Will this be accessible to someone who is brand new to Christ's community? Someone on staff, I know I do that. We got razors, we got community groups, we got all of these different things. And if I'm not careful to explain what those are, then I could very easily alienate people. Christianese can so easily be a barrier, and that's not what we want. And don't just stop with Christianese. What other barriers do you put up? What other ways might you be making it hard for people to come to faith in Jesus? And what can you do to tear down those barriers so that people encounter the giver rather than the gift? Third, our gifts build the church when they point us to peace rather than confusion. When they point us to peace rather than confusion. Look back with me at the passage. We're going to continue on reading in verse 26. 
What then, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. There it is, right? Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh and evaluate what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. Verse 33, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Don't you love how practical the Bible can be sometimes? <laughs> I mean, he gets down to brass tacks in this passage, doesn't he? He emphasizes, I hope you heard it, over and over again, the edification of the church, and then he lays down specifically how that should best happen in the context of the gathered Corinthian church. It doesn't mean exactly what he says here we have to do in this place, but I love how we see Paul getting incredibly specific because what is this charge rooted in? At the very end, what does he root this in? Basically, why is he telling them all of this? Well, as it always does for Paul, it comes back to God. And here's what he says. The God that we worship, that the Corinthians worship and that we worship here today is a God of peace, not of confusion. A God of peace, not of confusion. And thus, the worship services that are directed towards him should be ordered and peaceful. And today, how hard is it to find peace? If I were to, to take a straw poll or, or ask around in this room, my guess is that peaceful would be one of the last words that we would use to describe our lives. Busy? Yes. Tired? Sure. Chaotic? You bet. Noisy? Absolutely. But peaceful? Not so much. And I'm convinced that our lack of peace stems from the fact that we're not fully living into our salvation, which is secured for us in Jesus Christ. We need to be reminded of Jesus' good and comforting words in John 16, He's speaking to his disciples, and he says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. He doesn't stop there. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. And isn't that true? You will have trouble, but take heart, Jesus says, for I have overcome the world. And now, when we gather, you know, even though we have been saved by that Jesus, while we were still sinners, he has saved us from our enmity with God. He has brought us to peace and now we're going to worship without order. We're going to worship in chaos because that's what was happening in Corinth. And Paul says, no, no, because that doesn't reflect the character of the God who so graciously sent his son to die for us. And so when we gather and use our gifts, we must use them in a peaceful and ordered fashion. Otherwise, we've missed it and we aren't meeting the goal. Do you want to build the church with your gifts? 
then use them in a way that points towards peace and not confusion. Let me ask you that question today. As you reflect upon your spiritual gifts and how you use them, do they point to peace or to confusion? To peace or to confusion? There's a great Tim Hughes song called Beauty of Your Peace. And the chorus goes this way, take from our lives the strain and stress and let our ordered lives confess the beauty of your peace. Oh, the beauty of your peace. Is that your song? Your anthem? Do your gifts point to peace or to confusion? Finally, this morning, by, by way of closing this mini-series, we're done incepting you, right? Series within a series, dream within a dream. This is our final week of our four-week mini-series. Those of you that got that have seen Inception recently, okay? By way of closing the mini-series, I'd like to just close. Uh, this is a little bit different, but I'd like to close with three pastoral reminders about spiritual gifts. We spent four weeks here in these chapters, and I didn't want us to depart from this section of Paul's letter without these reminders. So three pastoral reminders about spiritual gifts. First, beware of spiritual abuse. Beware of spiritual abuse. And I said this in the first week. I'm sorry about the microphone. We're gonna get that fixed for next week. I said this in the first week, and really, we've been saying it all four weeks. Even though spiritual gifts are supposed to unify, all too often they tear us apart. They divide, they split, they fracture. And often, the divisions and fractures happen about or around the so-called miraculous gifts, healings, miracles, tongues, all of the gifts we've been talking about today. And the abuse... The spiritual abuse happens in both directions. You're no good because you don't speak in tongues. You aren't gifted like me. Oh, yeah? Well, you're weird and stupid because you do speak in tongues, right? I mean, these are the caricatures that fly back across the aisle and so on. Like I said earlier, too, this is the other place I see this. The phrase the Lord told me was never meant to end a conversation but only begin it. And I know in my own life, I've seen that. The Lord told me, wielded like a big club. Well, the Lord told me. The Lord told me. The Lord told me. And while God absolutely, absolutely still speaks and reveals himself today, we ultimately must check everything, everything, even the words that I'm saying here today, especially the words that I'm saying here today, right? We must check everything against the 66 books that he's already authored, the Bible. So here's the deal with the miraculous gifts. At Christ's community, we are truly open, but wisely cautious. Truly open, but wisely cautious when it comes to the miraculous gifts. As long as those gifts are being used wisely with Scripture as the guide for the goal of building the church, we're good. But if you remove any part of that equation, wise use, scripture as the guide, or edification as the goal, remove any one of those, then we have a massive, massive problem. Beware of spiritual abuse. And unfortunately, in our churches, and I know in my life, there's another far more common problem. 
Have you ever noticed how little we expect God to show up? How much different would your life be if the Holy Spirit just didn't exist? That's certainly the case in my own life. So my second pastoral reminder about spiritual gifts is be open to a surprising work of God. Be open to a surprising work of God. Because when I'm honest, I realize that much of my daily life wouldn't change if somehow, which won't happen, but somehow the Holy Spirit wasn't to exist and weren't to be a part of my life. Not much would change. And that's a problem. I need to hear this too. And at our all-staff meeting back in August, our senior pastor, Tom, he began our time that morning with a devotional on this little phrase, a surprising work of God. He challenged each one of us on staff to be praying for a surprising work of God and to be praying for that work to start with us. And that really grabbed me. And so for the last nine months, this phrase has been rattling around my brain and seeping into my heart. And I can't help but apply it to the spiritual gifts. I mean, listen again to how Paul begins 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. He says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Earnestly desire. Be open to a surprising work of God, a work where God will use our gifts to advance his mission and to build his kingdom. And again, I know that I fail often to do this. In fact, there's many times where I'm guilty of what Paul forbids the church in Thessalonica doing. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 19, Paul simply says, do not quench the Spirit. Do not quench the Spirit. And I know I'm guilty of that in my own life. I don't want to be guilty of that. I want to be open to a surprising work of God, and I hope you do as well. You know, a surprising work that may be something incredible, miraculous, or unusual, but so many times the surprising works of God occur in the quiet and unseen places of the human heart. You know, for instance, when somebody comes to faith in Jesus and understands their sin and confesses it and repents of it, that is a surprising and wonderful work of God. Or when a broken marriage or a family relationship is reconciled and restored, or an emotional struggle or a physical illness finds new hope and strength, or a very specific prayer is answered. These are surprising works of God. So let's be open to and pray for them, for the surprising works of God, a spiritual awakening in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in the places we work, in our city, in our nation, and around the globe. The final reminder this morning is very brief, and it should be no surprise. Look for ways to use your spiritual gifts. Look for ways to use your spiritual gifts. On the first week of this series, I said that we had a big idea that would guide us for all four weeks, and I've already said it earlier this morning. Your gift is not for you. Your gift is not for you. So I have to close these four weeks challenging you to look for ways to use your gifts for the goal of building the church. And when we're looking for those ways, would you follow the example of Jesus with me? I mean, Jesus didn't hold anything back for himself, did he? Instead, he gave it all away for the benefit of others. Let's follow that example with our gifts and give it all away 
so that we can meet the goal of building the church. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, thank you for your son Jesus who gives us this great example of what we should do with our gifts. And thank you even more, Lord, that Jesus is our Savior who died and rose again for the times where we fall short. May we press into that gospel of salvation, Lord, and may we follow Jesus' example and use our gifts well, giving them away for the good of others so that the church may be built up. Pray all of this in your name. Amen.